Let me pray again for just a second. Lord, your work is accomplished by your Spirit. And as we think about bringing you worship this morning, we know that that has to be in the Spirit and in truth. We ask you to help us as we raise our voices to declare back to you what's true of you and the things you've done for us. Or during open worship, we have that opportunity to individually express thanks for who you are, what you've done. Lord, also, we need your Spirit to hear words of life. Each one of us comes with needs. And Lord, it's only by your Spirit that the truth of your Word is made real to each of us. We ask you that you'd be at work to honor yourself, to address each of us, Lord, where we need to hear from you, and to help us to honor you in bringing worship to you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I worked with a gentleman, I use the term broadly, a gentleman years ago who was straight out of prison and on parole, and he was a big hulk of a guy and sort of had an expression on his face you could sort of see that he might have just come fresh out of prison. And I had a chance to ask him later as we worked together, uh, why were you in prison? What was it that got you thrown in jail? And he said it was for stealing. It was for theft. And he thought about it a little more, and he said, my friend ratted on me. My friend ratted on me. I was caught and I went to prison because my friend ratted on me. And as he thought about the experience again, he shook his head in disbelief and he said, man, he did me wrong. He did me wrong. And I'm standing there listening to this guy. There's no, I get no impression that he has any idea about the irony coming out of his mouth. Here's a guy who's stealing from other people and that seems fair in his mind. That's okay. But his friend who ratted him out, man, that's wrong. That's just downright wrong. And, you know, isn't it interesting for all of us, we sort of develop in our own minds uh, a sense of what's right and wrong as we see it. And we sort of have a temptation to live life by our own set of rules. And, you know, as Christians, we do this too. And we sort of say to God, Lord, I'm doing it. I think I'm doing well enough. You know, I'm, I'm giving or I'm showing up to church occasionally or I'm doing whatever I think makes sense in living a righteous life. But then what happens? You know, some area of our life, the bottom falls out. We're disappointed. It could be career. It could be finances. It could be in our family, our health, whatever. And what do we do? We go to God and we say, Lord, it's not fair. Lord, you've ratted me out. Lord, I sort of did what I thought I should, and you're not playing fair. What is the deal? What's going on? This was the same kind of dynamic that was going on 2,400 years ago when a guy named Malachi wrote a four-chapter book, last book of the Old Testament, that bears his name. Malachi means messenger or God's messenger. And in Malachi's day, the Jews who had been in Babylonian captivity, God judged them as he said he would, they'd return to the land. And if you remember in books like Ezra, uh, the temple in Jerusalem had been rebuilt. And right next door to that, in the book of Nehemiah, the wall had been rebuilt. And books like Haggai see part of that process going on as well. 
And yet in Malachi, Malachi was contemporary with Ezra and Nehemiah. When Malachi writes, he's writing to a group that has at one level returned to God. They return to the geography of the land of promise and the temples there and the walls there again. But it's really and truly, it's a half-hearted return because their heart, their mind, and their spirit is not in it. And Yahweh, the God of the covenant, had fulfilled his promise. He said, you're going to serve 70 years in Babylon, but then I'll bring you back. And he kept his word and his promise, and the people are back in the land, but there's something amiss because, like my friend at work, they're sort of living life as it seems right to them. And yet life doesn't seem fair because their finances aren't what they should be. And the land's not productive the way it's supposed to be. And they're crying out to God with their needs, and God doesn't seem to be answering their prayers. And so God addresses them in one area after another and says, Hey, guys, I've got a problem here. And you know what their response is? What do you mean there's a problem, Lord? Aren't we doing right? Aren't we doing enough? And God addresses several of those, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, in May there was a teaching called Men with Chests, and that was the opening salvo, we said, in a concerted effort to take about a year and a half in Lion and Lamb to call men back and to call men up to the kind of responsibility God in the Scriptures calls us to. And seeing this movie, being in a men's meeting yesterday morning, it's clear to me that not just in Lion and Lamb, but across the United States at least, God and His Spirit are stirring things up, calling men back to faithfulness. And this book we're in this morning, Malachi, while it's addressed to the Jews under the Old Covenant in their day, we're not Jews under the Old Covenant, has a lot to say to us today. And Malachi was written primarily to the men, not to the women of the nation of Israel. When you read through it, you'll see it's almost always, it's the men who are leading in not living according to the covenant God had with them. And God's calling the men of Judah back to covenant faithfulness. And that's right in line with what we've been talking about for the last six months or so. And we'll continue. You know, there's a men's advance coming up in October. I'd sure encourage you to get to that, get to the movie. There's men's groups. I'll mention some of those again at the end of the day. But God is at work clearly calling guys back, men up, to fulfill the roles he's called us to. So in the terms of C.S. Lewis in May, we talked about being men with chests. And that was a phrase Lewis used to say, men with a Christ-informed heart and mind and soul, a Christ-redeemed maleness so that they are manly in all the ways God means us to be most fully demonstrated through Jesus himself. That's a man with a chest, men with chests. This morning we're taking that theme and we're making it perhaps a little bit more cryptic. Guys, this morning we're, we're being called to be Malachi men or M&Ms. Malachi men, M&Ms. Cryptic, easy to remember, right. M&Ms, Malachi men, men with chess. That's what we're going this morning. Now, as we talk about this, I know half our audience or more is female. <clears throat> An apology on one side. I am specifically talking to the guys this morning again, but hopefully that's a good thing for all the women in here long term. If the men in your life are the men God's called them to be, you'll be blessed for sure. The other thing along this line is 
You know men in your life. You have dads or brothers or brother-in-laws. You have sons. Hopefully this gives fodder for prayer or maybe interaction, verbal interaction in the future too. So I don't think it'll be without any merit for you ladies as we go home later today. If you have a study sheet, great. That's where we're jumping in this morning in Malachi. If not, you can open your Bibles to the last book of the Old Testament. That's where we will be parked. Malachi addresses several issues. We're going to look at three. The first one is Malachi calls the men of Judah back to covenant faithfulness in the arena of giving. Now, let me say immediately, I know we just talked about giving when we looked at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. This is from an entirely different take, entirely different set of motives we're looking at this morning. So be patient. I don't think we'll cover the same grounds. You can tell me if we do later. Uh, Back to covenant faithfulness in the arena of giving. In chapter 1, God addresses the priests of Judah, and he says, If I am a father, and I am your spiritual father, where is my honor? And if I am a master and Lord, and I am, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name? Now they're taken off. What do you mean, despise your name? You say, how have we despised your name, Lord? Verse 7, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar. Now, if you remember in the law, God said, when you guys present offerings to me, it's the first and it's the best. So when you present a goat or a lamb, it has to be without spot or blemish. It's a perfect animal. We know today that that's because All of those sacrifices that were offered by the Jews on those altars, all those slain animals were pictures of the Lamb of God who would finally come and take away the sins of the world. John chapter 1 talks about Jesus, the Lamb of God. And so those Old Testament offerings were meant to be a reflection of Christ's sinlessness. But what's happening in Malachi's day is the offerings that the priests are both accepting from the people in part but also the morning and the evening sacrifices, the priests are offering on the altar of God for God, for Yahweh, the God of the covenant, the blind, the lame, the sick, animals that were stolen, second-rate things, blemished animals. So the priests, instead of bringing the first and the best, they're offering whatever is convenient. There's no standard, according to the law, that God is getting their best, the best of the animals. He's getting the worst, in fact. They continue, you say, God, how have we defiled you? God answers, in that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. There in verse 12, he says, quoting them, the table of the Lord is defiled. Its fruit and its food is despised. You say, how tiresome it is. You disdainfully sniff at it. See, the picture for the priests is, For most of the sacrifices made, the priests received a portion of that. And so the priests, in this holy position they held, they got to sit down in the temple in a place no one else did, and they ate part of the sacrifices given in fellowship with God there in the temple. And these priests are effectively saying, not only do we not give God our best, but what we offer up, we have no intention of eating. We sniff at it. We say, no thanks. I'm going to go home. I'm going to have peanut butter and jelly or whatever. I'm not willing to sit down in the temple and fellowship with God with the food 
that we've offered to God. It's not adequate for what I would eat. They've despised God in what they've offered. And then they've said, it's so lousy, we're not even going to hang around, Lord. We wouldn't even eat this stuff. In verse 10 there in chapter 1, God says, you know, I wish there was just one among you who just closed the doors of the temple because this is not what I'm after. This is not covenant faithfulness, and I don't want any part of it. And in verses 11 and 14, God says this, and this was the reproof. God says to the men of Judah and to the nation, he says, guys, I am a great and mighty king. I am the God of the nations. And he says, the nations will one day worship me and fear me and pay me respect all over the world, the nations I don't have a covenant with. And he says, but here in my own house, in my own family, in the group I have this sacred covenant with, I'm despised and abused and abased. You treat me like some third-rate politician, God says. I wish you'd close the doors and go home because I don't want any part of this. They're bringing God not their first and their best. They're throwing him scraps like a third-rate politician. The priests were faithless in their devotion to God, and God's calling the priests back to covenant faithfulness. Now, it didn't stop there, unfortunately. If you turn to chapter 3 in Malachi verses 8 through 12, these are fairly well-known verses because Christians who teach about giving routinely come to Malachi to do so. God says, will a man rob God? You know, why would you even think about robbing God? Yet God says you are robbing me, but you say, see, we think we're doing a good job. How have we robbed you, God? And God says, well, in tithes and offerings, you're cursed with a curse because you're robbing me, the whole nation. In verse 10, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There will be food in my house. Test me in this. I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Think of the flood. The heavens were open and a flood of water came down. Well, God says, you test me in this. You bring in the the tithes and the offerings you're supposed to according to the law. I'll open heaven and it won't rain water. I'll flood you with goods, with food. In fact, it says, the nations will call you blessed. You shall be a delightful land. So God says, bring in the tithes and the offerings. Now, if you go back and read the first five books of the Bible... Um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy particularly, you read the law. And remember, the law was the covenant God was in with Israel. And this was a conditional covenant. So God says, this is what I require of you. I'm the great king. I'm your master. I'm your Lord. This is what I require of you, in part. You're to offer to me at the temple the first 10% of all your increase, your grain, your crops, whatever your financial income is, the first 10% comes to me at the temple. And also, every time you have an animal that bears its first young, that's mine too. And so you're to offer, God says, the first 10%, the first and the best 10%, and then gifts and offerings on top of that. If you had a sin offering, if you'd sinned, you went to the temple and offered that. If you were simply thankful, you took God your best, you offered that at the temple as well. That was part of the covenant. So God says to the men of Judah who've returned from the land, you're robbing me because you're not honoring the covenant. In fact, if you read in Haggai's day, God says, um, you're sowing much and you're reaping little. And it's like you've got a purse, but there's a hole in the bottom of it. And that's exactly what's going on here. They're saying, Lord, we've given you some stuff. 
And God says, yeah, but you're robbing me. You haven't delivered what you were supposed to. And that's in part why you see this deficit going on in your life. You're not keeping the covenant. And under the covenant, God says, if you obey and keep your part in this conditional covenant, I will bless you. And if you don't keep your covenant, I will curse you. Now, in regards to the giving, there were two elements, at least, that were at play here for God and for the people. God says, I'm a great king. And the people in those days knew what that meant. You know, we're in a a democratic republic. We don't think in these terms. In that day, to belong to the king was to live under the king's rule and authority. You did what the king said. You honored the king. You gave him respect. He had the power of life and death over you. So for the Jews to be in covenant with God, the great high king, when they gave the first and the best, they were acknowledging, God, you're God. You're our king. We live at your pleasure. We belong to you. You have rights over us. And so we acknowledge that by giving you our first and our best. You're the great high king. We acknowledge that. The second side of that is that in giving God their first and the best, they were also saying, God, we know that you're good to provide for us whatever it is we need. So that when we give away that 10% or when we give you the first of our animals... We're not worried that somehow we're going to run out of food or clothing or land. We give the first and best to you because we trust you for all our needs. And yet, the men of Judah in Malachi's day, they're robbing God. They're not being faithful to the covenant because they're holding back. For us today to be Malachi men or men with chests men, guys, we should be giving generously and confidently to God. Generously and confidently. You know from the New Testament, we've said clearly, the New Testament to the church does not put a percentage on Christians to give. The, uh, the hallmark was give generously. Sorry guys, I keep losing my mic. Give generously. There wasn't a 10%. We suggested 10% should sort of be at the bottom line for us as Christians with all that God has done for us. 10% part of the conditional covenant seems like an entry level. But, but there's no rule for us. God says, I've been generous to you and I want you to be generous in giving also. So we're called to New Testament grace giving. That's what we've talked about. But as Malachi men today... And as men with chest today, we communicate to ourselves, to our wives, to our children, to the church, to those around us, that we serve a great king. And he has rights over us. And we remind ourselves when we give to God our first and our best, he's God and we're not. We live at his pleasure. You know, in Romans 12, 1, God says essentially, give me everything doesn't he? Romans 12, 1, great memory verse. You know, Paul's gone through the book of Romans and he's talked about all the things their great God has done for them in redemption and providing Jesus for us, covering our sins, making us his sons, not in a conditional covenant, in an unconditional covenant. And in Romans 12, 1, when Paul starts talking about theology and application, he says, this is what you should do. This is what you should offer to God. You offer yourselves to God, your bodies to God on the altar. And you know what that means? If your body's on the altar, everything you are, everything you have, all your thoughts, all your words, that all belongs to God. 
And that's the New Testament offering for us today. Men, when we practice Malachi manly giving, men with chest giving, it's with confidence because we know who we belong to. And you talk about giving confidence to your family. We serve a great God and a mighty king. And we're not out because we give away generously in our God's name. We trust him for our needs because we know he's good for it. He's provided Jesus for our sins, Romans 8. If he's given us his son, what other good thing would he withhold? Excuse me. He's given us his best. He won't withhold anything else that we need. Men with chests and Malachi men on our great God and Savior and faithful and confident giving. The second arena God challenges them back to covenant faithfulness in has to do with this arena of marriage. The first of two issues here is who the men of Judah are seeking as spouses. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, God says, Judah has dealt treacherously. This means faithlessly, deceitfully. And an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. This means it's disgusting. It's unclean. And what is it, Lord? Well, Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. Guys, I may just be totally out to lunch today. Sorry. The men of Judah had come back to the land of promise. And contrary to the requirement of the covenant, they were marrying the women of the land. Now, God was not prejudicial. It's not that he looked down his nose at the Ammonites or the Moabites. This this had to do with where Israel would go. Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 to 4, God had talked to the Jews before they came into the land, and he said, listen, hear me on this. Make no marriages with them, with the people of the land you're going in to take. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. God says, listen, if you start intermarrying with the people of the land, they believe in other gods. They serve Baal. They have their own gods. And if you marry them, they're going to turn your hearts away from me, the real and true God, to idols and to pagans. You're going to be cursed. So he says, don't marry them. But if you read in Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll see that that's exactly what they had done. Ezra chapter 9 and 10 and Nehemiah 13. Let me read you briefly from Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah says, As for their children, half spoke the language of Ashdod. Ashdod, one of the cities of the Philistines. None of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. This is interesting, a couple things. One, the children born to the men of Judah with Philistine wives, they don't even speak Hebrew. They don't know the language of their father. When he says they'll speak the language of his own people, uh, children were assumed to belong to the mother by descent. So when he says his own people, he means Philistines, not Hebrews. You shall not, Nehemiah reminded them, give your daughters to their sons or take of their... Guys, I am just... Can I use this other mic, Kevin? Sorry, guys, let me reorient here. Wives, faithful. (laughs) Nehemiah, okay. Uh, Yeah, he says, uh, 
He goes back to Solomon, verse 26 in Nehemiah 13. He says, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He, uh, king Solomon, Nehemiah says, he was as good as it got. He was loved by his God. God made him king over all Israel. Remember Solomon's the, the tip of the top in Israel's history, the, the wealthiest, the most wise. But Nehemiah concludes, nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Solomon, with all God gave him, with all his wisdom, Solomon's heart was turned away from his covenant God by the women he married. And if you read Solomon's life, he starts really well and he finishes really badly. And it's because he married foreign women and he took on their religion. And that's exactly what God was warning them about. So in Malachi's day, it's happening again. And Nehemiah tells us it is so bad the kids born in Judah don't even speak Hebrew. They don't know the language of their fathers. If you're a young man now, or an older man, looking for a spouse, this is a huge, huge lesson. You know, most of us, just because of our humanity, we really want to be married. And many in this group I know really want to be married and are not. <clears throat> There's a temptation as that unmet desire continues to say <clears throat> something like this to ourselves, I'm going to lower my standard. We might not say it quite that way, but that's what we're thinking. Guys, if you're contemplating a wife for the future, she needs to be, just like in Malachi's day, you need to be a Malachi man and you need to say to yourself, any woman is not okay. Only a woman who knows the Lord and loves the Lord is even in the arena for me as an option to choose as a future wife. If she doesn't know and love the Lord, she's not an option. You know, you go in 2 Corinthians six fourteen. Paul there said, don't be bound together with unbelievers. It's sort of the same thought. So guys, even if it means not being married for years, you thought you would be, don't cave on this. Your spouse has more power to bless or wreck your life than anyone else around. And also more power and more influence to affect your children for or against Christ than anyone else on the planet. You cannot afford to hedge here. And ladies, I'm talking to the guys, the same thing applies to young ladies. And you know, we've talked about this before. The age of marriage has gone up 23 when Kathy and I got married, 23 and 22. Today it's 29 and 28. And there's lots of young women too who are saying, I want to be married. Where are the godly young guys? Listen, don't lower your standard. You'll be cursed. It's got to be for you gals. It's got to be a guy who loves the Lord, who's committed to Christ first, a Malachi man, a man with a spiritual chest, because he's going to affect you for the rest of your life. So don't cave. Don't lower your standard as the men in Malachi's day had. The second arena in marriage in which Malachi's calling the men of Judah up short has to do with Loving a wife over time. Loving a wife over time. You see this in chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. God says, this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts with favor from your hand. They're like, God, where are you? We're praying and you're not answering us. And God says, you say, 
what reason? Lord, why aren't you answering us? And God says, Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Covenant by sacred honor and purpose and pledge before God and men. Not just a legal deed, a sacred covenant. Verse 15, God says, Take heed then to your spirit. Be careful. Let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. Take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now God calls the wives being divorced here the wife of your youth. The implication, guys, is this. These are M&M men of a different sort. These are men in midlife crises. Probably no one here has any idea what that means. Men in midlife crises. These are probably middle-aged men. They probably married these gals in their youth. And my suspicion is they've been married 20 or 30 years. These are guys in their 40s or 50s primarily. Their wives are now in their 40s or 50s. These gals have served them with the best years of their life. They've probably borne their children. But now you see the husband's looking at his wife, the wife of his youth. She's not as young as she was. Maybe she's got some wrinkles on her face. She's not as spry or active. Maybe her cooking's fallen off a little bit. Who knows? But she's not quite what she was when he married her. And, you know, it was a man's world in these days. And the men of Judah were saying, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, because I'm going to go get a younger model. I'm trading you out so that I can trade up for a younger woman. Same thing that goes on today. And God called this treachery, faithlessness. This is a big deal for God in Malachi's day and in our day. Do you remember how God communicated his attributes to the people of Judah back then? Besides being holy, his number one characteristic, God said, I am loving and kind. I display loyal love. That's the second quality God describes himself by, just based on number throughout the Old Testament. I am characterized by a devotion to those I love and am in covenant relationship with that never quits and never ends. And so these guys are going to God and they're whining and they're crying. And they say, Lord, why don't you answer our prayer? And God says, you're deceptive, you're faithless, you're, the things you're doing are in my eyes abominable. And you come and cry to me when you have tossed away the wife of your youth like the scraps you toss at me in the temple. It's an abomination, God says. It's like violence, God says. Violence covering your garments. Your garments are like violence against the wife of your youth. Malachi men are faithful to their wives on the front end of marriage and in the middle of marriage and in the later years of marriage. When their wives are young and everything looks promising and when the time of their lives are winding down and that wife has lost her youthfulness. Men with chests don't trade up. They remain loyally loving to their wives. Malachi men love their wives and display covenant faithfulness to them through the years. So guys, in the arena of marriage, 
Young men, young ladies, you keep a high standard. If someone isn't a committed Christian, they're not an option in marriage. They should not be. Don't go there. And having wed, we want to display covenant faithfulness to that spouse. That represents God's faithfulness to us. The third thing is in the arena of parenting. Go to the very end of Malachi, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. This has to do with calling the men of Judah through Malachi back to covenant faithfulness in the arena of being a father, a parent. God says there, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, the statutes and the ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. There's a couple things here. The fathers are not being covenant Malachi men, men with chest kind of fathers to their children. That's not going on. They are not keeping God's covenant to men. Do you remember if you look back in Deuteronomy 6 and 7, God was quite clear in the covenant. And he told fathers, he said, listen, you follow, you keep these statutes so your sons and your grandsons will buy into this covenant. The front end of Deuteronomy 6. God had commanded the fathers of Judah to teach the covenant to their sons when they sat down and when they rose up, when they walked in the way. In other words, at every step of life along the way, the men of the covenant were supposed to command their sons after them so that their sons bought into this relationship with God as well. And in Malachi's day, this was not going on. They don't know the covenant. The fathers aren't keeping the covenant, much less communicating it to their sons. Guys, for us today, it is easy to check out on fathering. And I'm thrilled this movie that we looked at the clip at earlier is is coming. Uh, Being a father is, in my view, besides being a spouse, it's the highest calling you can have on this planet. You affect souls for eternity. You shape lives. You have more formative role in shaping your children than anything or anyone else on the earth. And you're supposed to. And if we are men with chest, with a Christ-informed conscience and mind, if we're Malachi kind of men, we're teaching our children about the glories of our great God and King and our great Savior, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And to fail to do so, much more than under that conditional Old covenant, much more so today. We who are part of the new covenant, this unconditional promise whereby God takes care of all our sins and says, you're my son, you're my daughter, welcome into my family. How much more should we be faithful to communicate that relationship we have with God, display that for our children, and call them into the life we have with God also? This is about time. This is about energy. This is about sharing your heart and your life with your kids. You know, if you look around in the church today, and we've talked about this, you'll see lots of kids checking out. They didn't buy into their dad's view or vision of life. Now, you can be a great father, and you can have children that choose to make other options, their lifestyle choice or whatever. But don't let that happen because we as dads fell down on the job and weren't being Malachi kind of men. 
who not only loved God ourselves, but we're sharing that relationship we had with God through Christ with our kids. We can't afford to fail here. To be men with chests in the arena of fathering, to be Malachi men, means to love God, and then it means to communicate that love to our children. Scriptures, giving your kids the truth of the scriptures, hugely important. Letting your children see how God is important in every arena of your life, hugely important. Giving your kids your heart so that you have your children's heart. That's what Malachi men do. The last thing that I want to mention, it's not a gripe God had with the men. It's, it's what the Malachi men, it's what the M&Ms of their day did. If you look in chapter 3 at verse 16, Malachi's preaching this message, this call to covenant faithfulness to the men of his day. And this in part is what happened. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord, who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. They spoke to one another. This is a loaded phrase. This doesn't mean they said, hi, how are you? When they heard Malachi's message, these guys got together. And they said, guys, we've got to do something about this. Guys, you know, this is their version. They formed men's groups. They got accountability partners. This is what they did. They said status quo is not enough. And we've heard God's reproof, and that's us, and we mean to do something about it. So when they spoke to one another, basically they got together and they said, we're going to help each other be faithful to God. We're going back to covenant faithfulness, and we're going to help each other do it. Men's groups, accountability groups, that's what it was in their day. These are nothing new for us. This is what the Malachi men in that day did. And look at what God says. God says he wrote a book and he wrote their names in it. These guys that responded to the challenge from Malachi, their names were recorded by God. And he says, those guys in that book, those are my guys. Those are M&Ms. Those are my men. These guys that heard my word, my reproof, and they've responded. And they're devoted to me again, and they're coming back to covenant faithfulness. God says, those are my guys. Those are my men. I love that. Any one of us can be a Malachi man. One of the guys that God says, that is my man. Those are my men. By simply responding to the challenges God puts before us. By anning up. By just... Coming to grips with our failures and saying, Lord, that's what I want to be about. And I'm going to get together with some other guys who are doing the same thing, making the same commitments. That's where we're going. Malachi men, men with chests, are guys who are faithful. They're confident in giving because they know they serve a great, mighty king. They're faithful in seeking a spouse. They're faithful in serving and keeping a spouse. They're faithful as fathers. I'm going to have the young guys uh, do me a favor and pass out some little packets as reminders for you. You know, this is easy to be an M&M, to be a Malachi man. If you're a guy 15 and up, uh, my treat to you this morning, it's cheesy and it's tasty and it's chocolate. Uh, It's a little bag of M&Ms. And when you eat these M&Ms, 
at one sitting or one M&M at a time? Seriously, think about being an M&M, a Malachi man. A guy that has heard God's challenge and says to himself and says to others, I'm in this game, Lord, I'm signing up. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. I want to respond to covenant faithfulness in what you've done for me in every area of my life. Now, you know, any time that you talk about some area of life in which God calls us up, uh, it means that we have failed in these arenas, doesn't it? If you talk about giving or marriage or any arena of life, we've, we've blown it, guys. There's no doubt about it. All of us have in some way, in thought, word, or deed. And so when you hear this this morning, if you say, Lord, that's me, I've blown it. I've not been a confident giver. I haven't trusted you. Or, Lord, my marriage isn't what it should be because I've blown it there. Or I've blown it as a father. Or I've blown it in other areas of life. You know, we live under the new covenant. Thank God today. In which God says, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more forever. So guys and gals, old or young, we bring those past failures to God. We acknowledge them to him and we say, Lord, I've blown it. Thank you for the forgiveness I have through Jesus Christ. Jesus bore the penalty of all our sins, whatever they were, whatever they are, whatever they will be. When he died in our place on the cross and when we've blown it, we simply come back and say, Lord, I've blown it. Thank you for the forgiveness I have. Help me man up, the Amalekai man, a man with a chest, again, in the ways you want me to. We talk about manning up in a spiritual sense here. Guys, there's no sense that we sort of by our own bootstraps do this. You know, it's the Spirit of God at work in us that produces the life of Christ in us. And Paul said in Philippians 4, no matter what's going on in life, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Being a manly man, you know, on our own strength, it's not enough. It won't do. It won't produce what God is after. We need the Spirit of God at work in us. And we need to be praying about this for ourselves and for others. And again, just to the gals, to be praying for the guys in your life that they'll become Malachi men, men with chests, men with a Christ-informed heart and soul and mind to honor God, we who live today under the new covenant, taking on Christ's likeness in our maleness so that we can be who and what God means us to be. Father, it's a high call and it's high privilege to know you and to serve you. Lord, for each one of us, help, help us to come clean to you in those areas in which we've simply blown it in the past. We've been less than Malachi men, less than men with chests, less than the stature of your son that we're called to grow up into. Help us to be honest with you and each other. Lord, help us, like the men in Malachi's day, to talk to one another, to get together with other men who are pledging themselves to do the same thing, to come back to faithfulness to you and to our families and to the church, to the communities in which we live and serve. God, help us that we are like those men whose names you recorded, that you could say, those are my men. Those are the guys responding to me. And Lord, ultimately we know your son Jesus is our model. And would you help us through prayer, through time in the word, would you help us value him more and more? Would you make us 
more and more like him by your grace. And would you help us communicate him more and more fully to those in our charge and those in our circle of influence. God, with reckless abandon, we throw ourselves at your grace and your mercy and ask you to fulfill your good purposes in each and every one of us now. In Jesus' name, amen.